0: Today I'd like to welcome to the PodMD studio, Dr. Jason Pace. Dr. Jason Pace is an experienced psychiatrist who established and practices at Sydney TMS, an innovative clinic providing treatment for treatment-resistant depression where other treatments don't seem to be working. TMS is short for Transcranial Magnetic Stimulation. After graduating from the University of UNSW in 1996, Dr. Pace founded the Hills Clinic Private Hospital in Kellyville in 2010, which included one of the first private youth mental health inpatient programs in New South Wales. In 2014, Dr. Pace launched Sydney TMS after travelling to America and visiting several TMS clinics in the US. At that time, transcranial magnetic stimulation, or TMS for short, was virtually not heard of in Australia. Jason now operates four TMS clinic locations across Sydney and practices at all four, offering extensive experience in TMS treatment. Today, we'll be discussing the topic of basic depression treatment. This podcast is brought to you by OneCloud Voice and Data, helping business to connect. We do hope you enjoy this podcast, but please remember that the advice here is of a general nature and is not intended as specific advice about a given patient. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the doctor, not PodMD. If you do have a patient on whom you require specific advice, then please seek advice from a colleague with appropriate expertise in that area. Jason, thanks for talking with us on PodMD today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: The topic of today's discussion is basic depression treatment. Jason, can you give us a brief overview of depression?
1: Sure. Well, um, depression is... It's a brain disorder. Uh, it's characterised by sort of several different things. I guess most people would be aware that depression often presents with being sad or being low in mood, um, but I guess it's a bit more complex than that. You know, um, depression often can be initiated by a particular stress. Uh, it could be grief. It could be a work issue, relationship issue, or a trauma. But for some people, depression um, is more of a... Condition that sort of slips into their, their being for no particular reason. And this could be individuals who might have a genetic component of uh, their illness, and it could be a family history of depression, and they might be a bit more prone to suffering depression for no obvious reason. Um, other ways of seeing depression is it can be a single episode or it could be a recurring episode. Some people have repeated episodes of depression. And I guess other types of depression that you might consider would be either a unipolar or a bipolar. So with unipolar depression, people would have single repeating episodes of, of depression. With a bipolar depression or bipolar affective disorder, people will have this sort of pendulum effect where they might suffer depression and that swings to high mood or mania and they sort of oscillate between the two often. So depression can be a sort of a standalone condition or it can be a part of a greater condition or a larger condition, I guess.
0: So how would a patient with depression typically present?
1: So people often present quite late in the piece. I guess the first thing to say is that people often have been struggling with symptoms of depression for quite some time before they seek help for it. They may come in specifically asking for help with depression. They might say, I'm feeling sad, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm stressed. But a lot of the time they can present with other symptoms as well. So, uh, And a lot of the symptoms with depression are quite... Non-specific, so they can mimic other conditions as well. And typically, someone might present with symptoms that might mimic more of a physical illness. So one way of looking at depression is to think about the way it makes us feel, the way it makes us think, and the way it makes us behave. And these are the three main ways they can present. So they can feel depressed, they can feel tired and lethargic, and depression has a very strong component of, of energy. So along with depression, uh, depressed mood. You can often feel very very lethargic, lacking motivation. The way we think can be affected. So people can feel quite hopeless, quite low self-esteem, quite desperate. And if it gets really bad, they start to think obviously a lot about suicide and about their worth of their life and whether it's worth them being around. And the way that they behave can be affected. So they can be withdrawn, become more irritable. They can um, start to feel sort of quite isolated from other people and it can be that actually the, the person might come along with a partner because the partner is finding that they're really difficult to to manage at home and their, their relationship is deteriorating. So it can be the person themselves presenting, or it can be someone else is bringing them along for help as well. Obviously, if things get really bad, depression, uh, their daily activity starts to being affected. So you know they don't have a shower every day, they can't get to work, they're missing work and study, they're starting to sort of really struggle to do anything in particular during the day. And if it gets very bad you know sometimes people could be basically stuck in bed all day or just not living in the house very much.
0: what are the risks and efficacy of the condition?
1: well, the risks of depression really come down to the functioning level that the person might have depending on how severely they're depressed so I guess the things we we concern about ourselves the most with is obviously suicide and risk of self-harm but before we get to that there's a lot more things that go on that can be um, put at risk as well so Cognition is affected, so people really start to really struggle to study and get to school or get to university. Their focus and attention at work can be really affected, so they can they put you know risk of them losing their work or having performance managing because of their issues around the sort of work performance. The connection with other people can really be affected so the risk there is that you know they damage relationships they can have arguments they can be distanced um, and both intimate relationships and more and more sort of friendly relationships can be affected by that people can start to wonder what's going on and they can really sort of cause a gap in the relationship for people sometimes these are you know repairable sometimes these can be really bad and they can really damage relationships more long term Other risks are that people start to do reckless things, uh, so they can start to drink more alcohol, use more drugs, drive more recklessly, gamble more, just just do things that are sort of really sort of almost a self-harming type of behavior, but in a way that um, starts to put them at risk. And some people do really unusual things, like they get into, you know, they do reckless things that they would never do otherwise. They might sort of get into fights or start stealing things at the shops. And it's, it's um, so it can be really, really unusual and it can lead, lead to some legal activity sometimes as well if, they get, if things get really severe.
0: I see, so um, what are the treatment options?
1: So the treatment options, really, again, uh, you, would, you would approach these depending on how severe uh, someone's presentation is. But I guess the first line of treatment for depression would be talking treatment. So a GP may spend a bit of time just trying to understand what the person is going through. If they can identify a particular stress that's, that's contributing to the depression, it may be worthwhile that they have some talking therapy with a counsellor or psychologist. And that could be all they need. Sometimes that's enough to get them through a period of grief or a period of stress or a period of sort of arguments with with work or, or, or relationships. Um, if that doesn't help or if there are more pervasive symptoms, obviously we look at medication being the next line of treatment. And most GPs would be aware of things like SSRIs or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, things like you know, Prozac and and Zoloft and and, um, things like that, which are typically used by by GPs and psychiatrists as a first-line treatment. And these medications can be very effective. Uh, If those types of medications don't work, we have other sort of medications that might be more effective, uh, things like SNRIs or tricyclic medications. And then moving down the the, the list, I guess we have things like mood stabilizers that can be sometimes added by a specialist as well. Some GPs are comfortable using those medications, some will refer on to a specialist psychiatrist to to prescribe those medications. And then finally, we have some non-medication treatments. So we have obviously um, things like being put in in hospital, if there's a risk of self-harm or if there's a danger to the person. Um, And outside of hospital, we would look at things like transcranial magnetic stimulation or TMS, which is now readily available. It's an outpatient sort of treatment for people who don't respond to medications. And then finally, I guess the very last or thing on the list would be electric convulsive therapy, which is something that you do as a hospital stay uh, and it's uh, probably, the I guess, the final effort to try and get someone well if they've failed to respond to other things completely.
0: Have there been any developments in treatment in the last few years or are there any trials in development now?
1: Sure. I, mean, I guess, look, I think um, most people are aware that they're the medications we do have available to us at the moment, while they're good, they do come with their own problems as well. There's quite a lot of side effects that people experience with, with medications. So in the last few years, we've seen pharmaceutical companies trying to develop newer drugs, different agents, maybe different classes of drugs that might um, be you know more tolerable to people because we know that 50% of patients don't take their medications properly because of side effects with medication. So, I guess in the last uh, probably 10 years or so, we've seen things like um, agamelatin, which um, is a, a medication that doesn't affect serotonin. It works on the melatonin pathways to help depression. And a drug called reboxetine, which is another medication which doesn't affect serotonin, which works more on the adrenaline pathways to try and help depression without those typical sort of SSRI type side effects. Things like sort of sexual dysfunction, which people often complain about. The next developments, uh, I guess, beyond medications would be um, things like transcranial magnetic stimulation uh, and TMS, which is now pretty readily available in Australia. Um, And this is for people who've tried quite a few different medications. You know, Medicare um, suggests that if you've tried two antidepressants, you're not getting the result you want. You could look at TMS as an option and now it's a Medicare-funded sort of treatment. Um, And other things, I guess, that might be on the horizon and are just starting to be talked about now and i think we may they will be clinically available now but will be probably in the next few years would be things you know there are other t- styles of medication which are sort of very different to what we've been using up to now so things like ketamine which is typically seen as an anesthetic or a pain medication uh, there's some trials with ketamine now being used for depression and quite a lot of hallucinogen medications um psilocybin and the like, who which are also now starting to be researched again and are quite likely going to be available for use for depression in the next few years. At the moment, these medications are being trialled, um, and I think initially they might come on, on board maybe in the next two or three years and they might be available, and at some point Medicare may fund those treatments and so they'll become more readily available. So there's a lot on the horizon. I think there's lots of things to consider. Um, but um, at the moment, I guess the 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 things available to most GPs at the moment would be the medications, different classes of medications, and maybe TMS as a as a second line treatment for that.
0: Are there any warning signs a GP or their patient can look out for?
1: Sure. Well, I think I guess when you're treating depression, apart from the depressive symptoms we've talked about, the other things to consider as a GP is um, how long you are waiting for a response from the treatment and how quickly you should be reviewing patients. So typically you know, a medication like an SSRI is gonna take about four or six weeks to have its effect. So I guess it's important once you start someone on medications, you bring them back in that time to see A, how they're tolerating the medication and B, how they're responding if they're having any sort of symptom improvements. And um, one thing I would recommend clinicians do is use some form of screening tool um, Things like the patient health questionnaire, uh, which is just a one page, nine question, really simple thing to use and administer really simple language. And it just helps you track how people are going, uh, particularly if you're in a sort of a busy sort of practice and you don't have a lot of time to go through like this, you can give this sheet to someone to take home and bring back with them so they can sort of not be taking time up in the consultation to use in, in the rooms. But that really helps you work out whether you're getting any movement happening with this patient's symptoms. And I think you know, monitoring symptoms is really important for to keep an eye on. It's important to also um, broach the question about suicidality and safety because it's a question often people feel really uncomfortable to ask about. But if you don't sort of at least open the gate to that question, it may be something that the patient feels you're not wanting to to know about. So I think asking about whether they've had thoughts of you know death or, or thoughts of harming themselves is a really important question to to address. Finally, I'd say the other things that are important is to keep an eye on the time and how long it's taking you to get someone well. Um, The key is to try and work on being a pretty aggressive at treating a depression in the first six months of someone presenting. It's really important that that's a key window if you are depressed for a long, long period of time, the chances of having um, a difficulty recovering from that episode of depression and b lots of relapsing depressive illness in the future is really, really um, increased. So, we already know that people have spent quite a few weeks and months suffering before they come to see us, so from the day they come in, it's really important that we're sort of working on a, a timeline of really no more than six months to try and get them well and considering, you know a medication trial takes a month you know you, you, you don't you don't want to be sort of sending someone away for three months and say come back in three months before they re- review you it's important to see them more regularly than that. And finally, the thing to keep an eye on is just is you know, how many medication trials you've had. If you've tried two antidepressants and you're looking at doing a third or fourth, evidence which is yes, it's probably unlikely they're going to respond to just doing more and more medication trials without sort of changing things. So you can't really expect a different result if you keep doing the same thing.
0: I see. So um, what's the likelihood of recurrence of the condition?
1: So unfortunately, depression is a relapsing condition for a lot of people. Uh, it's far far more likely than people would sort of think. Um, if someone has a, a full response and, and reaches remission with their treatment, they're in a much better position to not have any further episodes of depression. But if someone has you know an improvement in their, de- in their depression but they may still have residual symptoms, the chance of them relapsing uh, is quite high. And again, this is why it's important to sort of try and quantify this with using some questionnaires that you might sort of feel comfortable using and understanding. Um, Depression, we believe there's a sort of a, you know, what we call a kindling effect. So the longer you spend being depressed, the more likely your brain is to sort of set that as a bit of a default mode for being. So it's important that you spend far more time not being depressed than being depressed. And the longer you are being depressed for, the much more likely chances of you are going to be relapsing back into that, into that place. So if you get someone well, it's important to keep them on medication for a long period of time as well, to keep them well for a long period of time. So if they've been depressed for a year, or six months, it's important to keep them on medication for at least that long once they've recovered to keep them sort of in a good place and get their brain sort of defaulting back to, you know, being in a healthier place. If you stop medication too early, often you relapse quite quickly afterwards as well. And I guess the other thing to to consider is that if people have had two or more episodes of depression in their life, the chances of having them have recurrent depression is probably 50%. So there's more, you know, they're pretty high. So once you've accumulated two or three episodes of depression in your life, the chance of having further depression in your life is quite common.
0: And Jason, when should a GP refer?
1: So um, I guess very early on, if you've got someone with mild depression, you know, it's probably not bad idea to think about referring on quite quickly to a psychologist or a, to a counsellor, um, particularly if you identify someone having a stress that can be pretty easily identified. Um, having some talking therapy early on is going to make um, recovery a lot easier and you may do that before you do anything else. You might refer them to a psychologist before you even start any medication sometimes and that's quite reasonable to do. I think if, if you... Um, you know, consider the, the range of depression that we have, you know, there's a very good chance that 50% of depression that, that it's in the community can be very adequately treated with uh, a GP using um, some medication and with the assistance of a psychologist. I think that will get you out of trouble at least 50% of the time. But we do know that there's at least 30 or 40% of patients who have what we call treatment-resistant depression. So they, they really struggle to reach a full remission with the conventional sort of treatment, certainly a first-line treatment. And so I think those patients, if you identify them and you be aware of them, I think it's important to consider referring them to a specialist psychiatrist pretty early on in in the piece as well. So if you're sort of two medications trials down and seeing a psychologist, and you're sort of two or three months down the track with someone, and you're really struggling to see a significant improvement, or there may be a partial improvement, but you've sort of reached a bit of a plateau and it doesn't look like you're gonna get to a remission, then I think those guys need to be referred on pretty quickly. And considering, you know, at the moment in most states of Australia, it's very hard to get in to see a psychiatrist. You know, if you're thinking about referring someone today, they might not get in to see someone for two or three months time as well. So you know, that, you've got to factor in that um, when the referral is made, it may still be quite a few months bef- before you actually get to see someone as well. So I would be thinking about it pretty early on. I think certainly within sort of two or three months of seeing a patient, if you're not happy, they're doing really well. And I think certainly a psychologist very, very early on in the piece.
0: What role does the GP play in the treatment of the condition?
1: Uh, well, the GP role is pretty key because the GP is going to treat, as I said, at least half of the patients that they see with depression are pretty much on their own or maybe with the assistance of a psychologist. But even if they are involved with a psychiatrist, the capacity for a psychiatrist to review a patient is going to be maybe one every few, once every few months. You know, They're going to make some recommendations and they're going to refer the patient back to the GP for, for managing that, that recommendation. So I think the, the GP's role is super is, is a key role in managing things and observing things more regularly as well. I think people with, with moderate to severe depression need to be kept an eye on pretty closely to make sure things don't deteriorate. And to also just keep people motivated to keep going with their treatment, you know, to keep, keep, keep the compliance up, make sure they're doing it. Even non-medication things for depression, make sure they're trying to get some exercise in, make sure they're eating reasonably well, make sure their sleep's okay. And if you don't do this quite regularly with patients, they sort of really do get a bit sort of tired and, and fatigued with their illness and they don't do this. So having a regular catch up with a GP every couple of weeks when you've got that sort of severe illness is really important. If you just leave it to a psychiatrist to review the GP every as a patient every sort of three months or so, there's a lot of things that get missed along the way and people aren't going to do as well.
0: Jason, thanks for your time here today in the PodMD studio. To sum up for us, could you please identify the three key take-home messages from today's podcast on basic depression treatment?
1: Sure. Well, I think um, a couple of key things for me is to think about depression as a multifactorial condition. It's not about just being sad or or low in mood. It does definitely affect the way it affects your energy levels. Uh, It affects the way we think. Our capacity to think and our cognition, and it certainly affects things like our relationships and and uh, our socializing. So it's it's not just about being low mood. It affects several aspects of your your being. The second thing I would say is, that as treating a de- depression, it's important to have a, a bit of a, a plan of how you're going to monitor people's progress. Maybe using some scales. It's important to have an idea of what a partial response is and what a remission is. And uh, and and have some timelines in your in your I guess diary of how you do this and what you're sort of looking for. So you know, at the four at the four to six week mark, what am I expecting? You know, if if nothing happens at that point, what do I do next? Have a bit of a plan of how you approach this in a pretty methodological way. I think that's going to give you a really good outcome. It's important to understand that see, that you know, depression doesn't look the same with everyone and there isn't a patient that looks like they might suffer depression it can affect anyone really Um, and I I think just consider the number of patients you're going to be seeing who are going to be treatment resistant and don't hold on to those patients for too long it's important that you consider whether someone needs to be seeing a specialist whether someone needs to be having TMS treatment or being hospitalized Uh, you know that needs to be sort of pretty forefront of your mind and thinking in in, in these patients.
0: Thanks again Jason for your time today and the insights you've provided.
1: Thank you.